Um, Genesis 18, starting in verse 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went out with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham surely shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find, a so if I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went on his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. They said, No, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal with him. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. They pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they wore themselves out, groping for the door. 
Then the man said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place, because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his son-in-laws, who were to marry his daughters, Up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his son-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered, so the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster take over me, and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zor. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities, and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, and toward all the land of the valley, and he looked, and behold, smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Now Lot went up to went up out of Zor and lived on the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come into us after the manner of the, all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. This is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Benami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. this way but <clears throat> as city was reading it's like thinking back to to Easter and it's like we just spent a Sunday like talking about joy and new life and all this exciting celebration of Easter and then I get the privilege to stand up here and say hey Sodom and Gomorrah and we talk, we're talking about wrath and and God raining down sulfur and fire and as I was 
preparing this morning, it was like, all right, like, there's a huge contrast in what I see from week to week. And the more I studied, the more I was looking at this, the more that I feel like there's not a contrast. And I hope that you will see that with me this morning um, as we look a little bit more in depth at um, these verses in Genesis 18 and 19. Um, I don't know if you've realized or not, as we've been going through Genesis since January, that the world as we've seen it in Genesis is a wicked place. Like the pervasiveness of sin is is, as far-reaching as we've seen it. I mean, ever since Genesis 3, where first all sin entered the world, we saw the Tower of Babel, we saw the flood, we saw all these things, all these examples of the world rejecting God. I've heard various people say, not, not in this church, but like what, as I, as I just said, as I've been reading, what made Genesis 3 such a big deal? Why was it such a big deal that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit? First of all, I would argue that it was a big deal. But at the same time, it was more than just a physical action of, of eating a fruit. It, it was more than that. It was a heart itch, issue. We saw the intentions of man's heart was to reject God's provision, to reject God's good design, to reject God's plan for them. And that just spirals out of control. It's just seeming to get worse and worse and worse. And if you read that, that passage this morning or heard it read this morning, it's kind of hard to miss the fact that the people of the world are wicked, are evil, the intentions of their heart is sinful. Because what, what, did we re- what did we read? Just to throw it out there. We read that two men are in, are in the city. Lot welcomes them in. And the, the, it says the men of the city go there and demand that they be given over for the men to have sex with them. We see Lot offer up his daughters instead. We see Lot's, those same daughters get their father drunk and have sex with him. Like, the the severity of sin, as we read, it's just so, so clear. It's, it's uncomfortable, it's so clear. And what we see, so back in Genesis 13, when Lot first went to Sodom, uh, we saw that Abraham and Lot separated because the land could not hold them both. Uh, and it says, now the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. That's in chapter 13, verse 13. <laughs> So we know that going into these verses, like this is the place where Lot moved. It was a place known for their sin. And I believe that is an overarching thing that we see in this chapter. It's just the point is being made that this place is wicked, that the, the world is sinful. But we also see emphasized what God is going to do about sin. That, that God is absolutely going to deal with sin. It's this word that we don't like to talk about a whole lot when talking about God, but the word wrath. I mean, even as if you grow up in the church or grown up outside the church, but specifically those that grow up inside the church, like you hear the wrath of God, and it'll get a little squirmy. It's like, oh, we don't like to talk about that part. I mean, even as I think about preaching, like the wrath of God, it, it, it's a little uncomfortable at, at the outset. It's a lot easier to talk about 
a God that, that loves us, a God that wants our good, a God that's always for us. But when we talk about wrath, it's often, that's not the picture that we like to think about. It's not the picture we like to tell others about. But I think it's really, really important for us to see it this morning. Because we have to understand that sin, that this wickedness that we see here is absolutely 100% deserving of the wrath of God. Because God, being holy, being pure, being perfect, being God, there has to be justice for that sin. I mean, I've heard people say, why can't God just love the good, be all about the good, and ignore the bad? Why can't he just ignore that? Why does there have to be that side? It all goes back to what I just said about justice. Because at the same time that God is infinitely good, infinitely holy, infinitely set apart from the rest of creation, he is also perfectly just. And I spent way too long in a courtroom over the last one to two years of my life, more than I ever thought I would, um, mainly involving um, foster care cases uh, and a couple other things. But I've always felt myself wondering as I, as I go in, is this judge going to be just? Is this judge going to be just? As they took all the information and, and to make their decision, are they going to be just? Are they going to make the right decision? And with my limited knowledge of the situation, there's been times where I'm like, okay, that judge made a just decision. There have been times where I, in my limited knowledge, I felt like the judge made a very unjust decision. But that is not a question that we have to ask when we're talking about the justice of God. Because God is just. At the same time, he is good. At the same time, he is wrathful. At the same time, he is holy. He is perfectly just. But in sin, as we see here specifically in Genesis 18 and 19, the people of Sodom, the people of the world here, have taken what God has said, his promises of provision, his promises of protection, his promises of, at this point, of providing... And essentially told God that they know better. That, that would define everyone up to this point. And the wrath of God is just. The sin against a holy God, the response can be nothing other than, just, than wrath. Because for God to give anything less, he would no longer be just. So, I just wanted to say that on the front end. Um, and just go ahead, get that out. So the wrath of God, is deser sin deserves that, for, as God is just. So what all did we see there? There's a lot of words that, we re that Sydney read for us that we saw here. There's a lot going on here. So I just want to run back really quick through everything. Let's just get it all out there. We saw... Two weeks ago, when Tanner was in the verses directly um, before this passage, that these men had come to Abraham. And I will echo the sentiment that I'm really glad the names changed finally, because I messed it up multiple times every week talking about Abram. And even as I was preparing this week, a couple times I typed Abram. And I was like, oh, no, it's Abraham now. Um, but they, so they, the, these men have just come to Abraham, made him this promise that, that he's going to have a baby within the next year. And then they, they move on and go towards Sodom. 
And it says that God was going down to the city to see if it was as bad as he had heard. And then we see, as this happens, that, that Abraham begins to plead on behalf of Sodom. He says, God, if you find righteous people in the city, will you spare them? And we see this like bargaining situation happen. He says, what, about if, you find, what if you find 50? What if you find 45? What if you find 40, 30, 20, 10? Like he, he's bargaining with God in this way. Did anyone notice in verse 30 that he said, before he even says anything, he says, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Like, he knows he's pushing his luck. He knows he's kind of asking. I, I had in my mind this scenario of like middle school, high school age children who go to the parents and say, hey, mom, can I have $10? Like, hey, here's $10. You're like, man, I should have asked for 20 When I was buying, when we were buying a house recently, Every house we made an offer on, the people would come back and say, no, 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 I'm, here's what we'll counter-offer. The house that we bought, that we're living in now, we made an offer, and the lady accepted it. And I was like, oh, oh, I should have offered less. Like, what happened? Um, but it's like, I, that, that's kind of the scenario that I'm picturing here is, God says, okay, I'll spare it for 50. Then Abraham, Abraham, Abraham is, says, 45, then 40, then 30. But ultimately, we see that God says that he will spare the city if ten righteous people are found in it. And we move into chapter 19. That these two men are now identified as angels. I think that's important to note. <coughs> and Lot invites them to, to stay with him. They're saying, no, we're going to stay in the city. And he says, no, I want you to stay in my house. And then we get this really uncomfortable situation where the men of the city come to his house demanding that Lot give them to them, give the men to the people of the city so they can know them, so they can essentially rape them. And Lot, what does Lot do? His response is to then offer his daughters instead. And it's just like, man, like it's so wicked. I mean, it's uncomfortable to read because of just the, the sin and the, the severity of all this. It's going to get worse as we see Lot and his daughters at the end of the chapter. And I've heard people make the case that this is solely, only talking about homosexuality. That, that is the one and singular sin that is being judged here. And that is specifically mentioned, yes, and I believe that is part of what is going on here. But I think it's also more than that, because we've talked about, just within the last six months here, what is near to the heart of God. We've talked about orphans, we've talked about widows, sojourners, people that are disadvantaged by society. And these are the exact people that the Sodomites here are mistreating. The two men who have come to sojourn in the city that are there, the outsiders. Even when Lot tries to stand up and defend them, then they say, well, you're just a sojourner. Who are you? This is the condemnation, a judgment being given towards all sin. Like there's not just one sin being talked about here. And so the two men tell Lot and his family, get up, go, get out of here. God is going to destroy the city. So the, it says, verse 16 says that they linger. So the two men take initiative and they take them out of the city. And then we get to the well-known verse, um, at least if you've grown up in the church, of Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. Um, as much as I wanted to just not even touch on that and just leave that um, alone, 
I'm not going to get too deep, but it, it, doesn't it sound odd? It's almost like it's said in passing. Oh, yeah, well, that's why I've turned around, was turning to a pillar of salt, and then it just continues on. It doesn't tell us a whole lot about that. But I believe it's talking about more than just his wife turning around and visually seeing the city. Because Abraham does the same thing. It says he looks upon the city burning. He looks on it from a distance. So it was more than just a visual thing. I looked in more into that word of looked that it's, that it's used there. It's, it says to show regard for. It's a look back and say almost a desire Almost a desire of what she was for what she was leaving behind. And I think that gets a lot more to the heart of the issue. Because she was more concerned with what she was being told to leave behind than what God was directing her towards. But over and over and over again, we see the sinfulness of man in this chapter. The sinfulness of man, mankind. And that, again, it's emphasized as we see Lot and his wife, or sorry, Lot and his daughters, and, and that whole scene there of them going to have sex with their father, to have children in that way. And I do want to point out real quick that the Moabites and the Ammonites who are described there are going to cause the people of Israel problems throughout the entire Old Testament. Those two groups of people, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they're going to come up over and over and over again through the rest of um, specifically, once the people leave Egypt, this people, spoiler alert as we get to end of Genesis and Exodus, but over and over and over again, these people are going to cause issues. It's just the rampant sin and wickedness that is going on is not going to end in Genesis. It's going to go on and on and on. As we read all of this, it's really easy, I think. And I've said this multiple times this morning. It's really easy to isolate it and to see the sin and the wickedness of the people in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's really easy to see all this blatant sin and then not understand the gravity of our own sin. Because you and I, at the core of our nature, are just as sinful as Sodom and Gomorrah. Because we see their sin as just as awful, as evil, as despicable. We see them desiring to rape these two men in the city. We see Lot offer his daughters instead. We see these sins, but then fail to see the severity of our sin being seen, being seen on the same level in the eyes of God. Because the lust of your eyes, the way that you look at that man or woman, is equally sinful. The pornography that you look at is no less offensive to God. The hatred in your heart for another human being who is made in the image of God is no less offensive to God. Our greed, our love for money, our love for worldly things equally offensive in the eyes of God. The harsh words we speak to our spouse or our children, the ever so slight way that we might cheat on our taxes, the gossip that can fill our lips, all of these equally offensive in the eyes of God. 
And I think it's foolish if we are to read these verses here describing this atrocious, awful sin of Sodom and Gomorrah and to think that we are somehow different. Because the sin is coming from the same place of rejecting the promises, rejecting the provision, and rejecting the sufficiency of God. Let me read verses 15 through 18 again in chapter 19. 15 through 18. As morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. These two men, these angels, had just told Lot that punishment was coming for this city. And I believe that the next three words says a lot about the nature of sin. But he lingered. But he lingered. Like, the gravity of the words. But he lingered. God had said, I'm going to destroy this city. But he lingered. Lot has just been told, while sitting on train tracks, that a train is coming, and he says, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm not in a big hurry to get off. I think that we see just the foolishness of sin. Like, he was blinded, to the severity of what was at stake. Like, I don't know if it's because Lot was comfortable in the, in, the, in the sinful place of Sodom. I don't know if it's because he didn't fully trust these two angels. But whatever the reason, he lingers. He doesn't take heart the warning. And I, again, I think it's easy for us to say, ah, we're not that foolish. We don't linger in our sin. I think you and I, I know I do this all the time. I think it's the foolishness of the sins. We're blinded to the fact even that we linger. Like every time you choose not to flee from your sin, every time we keep sin so close, because God says, flee. That word is used multiple times, specifically in the New Testament. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. It's this word that is completely the opposite of linger. Linger is like to wait, to hold back. Flee is like get out of here as fast as possible. Run the other direction. Don't stay here. Another spoiler alert. We're, at some point, we're going to get to Genesis 39, and we're going to see Joseph, who is um, the great-grandson of Abraham. We're going to see that he rises to some level of prominence in Egypt. We see it says he's a good-looking guy, and Potiphar's wife, this, this lady, makes a pass at him, tries to, to come on strong to him and say, tries to lure him into bed. And it says he flees. Like, he ran out of the room so fast that he ran out of his coat, that she was left holding just his coat, because he fled. 
He was so concerned with obeying God. He was so concerned with obeying God that he fled, physically ran. So why do we keep those sins so close? Those things that might be leading us to sin. Maybe it's a certain device. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's a location. Whatever it is, we can keep those things around as we linger in them. God doesn't say linger. He says flee, get away, run, go as fast as you can the other direction. I think it's foolish to think that we can somehow avoid our sin when we have it stashed in our back pocket. Jesus uses the words, cut it off, pluck it out. He says, cut off your hand, get rid of your eye. If it's causing you to sin, it would be better for you to do that than to continually let those things lead you to sin. Look at verse 19, verse 17 specifically. They give him four commands. Escape. Do not look back. Do not stop. Escape. Same word for flee there. Get out of here as soon as possible. But then even, so this says the angels, they step in. They seize Lot and his family, take them out of the city. And then Lot says, well, I'm not going to go to the mountains like you said. I'm going to go to this other city. You say I'm going to make it there, but I'm going to go to the city instead. Verse 30 says now, so he says that. So Lot says, no, I'm going to go to the city of Zor. I'm going to go there instead. But then look what happens in verse 30, skipping down just a little bit. It says, now Lot went out of Zor and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zor. So God, God tells him, flee, get out of here, go. Lot says, well, I'm, fine, I'll, I'll, I'll go after God puts him outside the city. He goes to a different place. In between there, we see that his wife has died. There's something that's happened in the city itself that he's scared to live there now. And he ends up in the same place where God originally said. Like, obedience as we flee is always the best option. We don't flee from sin on our own terms. God defines that. And I think our sin, again, it's so blinding. So blinding. I think we're blinded to the ways that we linger in our sin. And I think that's one of the things on Good Friday is we prayed for conviction even, that God was convict us of our sins, even the ones we might be blinded to. I think there's just such a need because we're blind. Sin is blinding. But listen, look on, looking at 19, if God had not saved Lot, Lot would have perished. This is, this is big. If God had not saved Lot, he would have perished. Because this, I think, is, is huge. Because what I see in Genesis 19 is this, this, this perfect picture of God's salvation being given, given to undeserving sinners. See God going to an undeserving person, an undeserving family, and saving them from his wrath, and saving them from his destruction. 
What I see is God saving a people apart from any choice of their own or any good decision on their part. But what I see is God, purely out of his mercy, giving someone new life. Let me read. I just read it, but I want to read 15 through 17 again. As the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought him out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. God tells Lot what the proper decision is. Go, flee, get out of here. Lot doesn't make the right choice. It says he lingers there. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So even when Lot is stuck in his sin, even when he doesn't move, God steps in and says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to remove you. I'm going to put you outside the city because he was merciful to him. This was apart from any works, apart from any good decisions, apart from anything in himself. You see, not even Lot, not even Lot can stop God from saving him. This is exactly what we see here in Genesis 19. That salvation is accomplished by God. But here's another really awesome thing that I see, because this at the same time was at the intercession of Abraham. Abraham was interceding for the people. Abraham was going and saying, I'm interceding for them. I'm pleading, uh, pleading with God to save people. So at the same time that God was saving Lot out of his own mercy, he was also responding and answering the prayers of Abraham. Like, it's easy to see the wrath of God in this passage. But it's like equally here is what we see is God's mercy. His mercy. His mercy given to a family that did not deserve it. His mercy being given to a family who was lingering there in the city. And we see the, this perfect balance here of God's wrath in his mercy. This balance. I see in Genesis 19 is just this perfect description of salvation. A beautiful picture of God saving through his own choice, his own power, his own working. Like, Sodom and Gomorrah are mentioned over and over in the Bible. Over and over, the, the prophets mention him. Isaiah specifically mentions him. Jesus mentions Sodom and Gomorrah and the sinfulness of this place. Why? Do, are they, why is this this, this situation, this experience, why is this so talked about? Because we too are deserving of the same wrath that God brought on them. Our sin is no different than theirs. Our lust, our pride, our greed, our lying, our deception, our immorality, our hatred, our laziness, our sloth, our apathy. All of this deserving that same wrath of God.
God took that wrath and poured it out on Jesus on our behalf. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself, being Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Romans 5.9 Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? John 3.36 Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the, the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus Christ, Son of God, perfect, holy, takes the wrath that you and I deserved, takes that on in his body. We talked the Good Friday, the resurrection, he killed for our sin, but then conquered that sin, bore the sin in his body on the tree, taking the wrath for us. Like, if not for Jesus, we are dead. Like, hear that. I said with Lot. Lot was dead. He was in the city that was about to be destroyed. If not for God acting, Lot was a dead man. His path was destruction. But then God steps in, removes him from the city, gives him new life, and our Situation, our path is no different than this. I know I'm not the only one, I hope, thinking of Ephesians 2 right now, as we've been memorizing this together on Sunday nights. So what I want us to do is actually read these together. I understand not everyone has been here on Sunday nights, so not everyone has memorized these verses yet, so they're going to be up on the screen. But I really want us to read these together. If you have these memorized then don't, don't read them. You've got them. But they're going to be up here. I want us to read these together. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. They're up here on the screen. Ready? And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved." You were dead, living in sin. Dead. By grace you have been saved. But God gave us Jesus. Someone dead in their sin, lingering in their sin. No, not making the right decision, not making the right choice, not earning their own salvation in any way. But this is God saving sinners, undeserving sinners by his own grace and through the cross of Christ. Like, this is beautiful news for sinners. This is beautiful news from sinners. Like, he, God does not sit back and wait for us. No, he takes the initiative. He takes the initiative. He picks up, moves us outside the city. God gives us salvation. 
Like, this is love, this is mercy, this is grace. God did not wait for Lot to come to his senses. God does not wait for Lot. He doesn't wait for him to realize the impending destruction that is coming. After he saves him, after he he takes him outside the city, then again he says, flee, go, run, escape, don't look back. But he cannot do that if God would not have first grabbed him and moved him outside the city and said, go, get out of here. The grace of God being displayed here is absolutely incredible. Salvation given to man, accomplished by God when we had no hope. And just as Abraham, we see making intercession for these people, we see in Hebrews that Jesus makes intercession for the children of God. Look at Hebrews 7, 23 through 27. It'll be on the screen. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, and separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. (laughs) Jesus is far greater than Abraham, far greater than Abraham. Not only does he intercede for us, but he stepped into our mess, took our punishment, took that wrath upon himself. Like, if you want further proof, we've said this all along from Genesis, that all of this is pointing towards Jesus. All of this is exalting Jesus. Like, look at this. Look at the salvation of God. Look at sinners being shown mercy. But, but look at, like, because of all of this, understanding all of this, like I said this earlier, at the same time God was saving Lot purely out of his own mercy, at the same time he was responding to, answering the prayers of Abraham, the intercession of Abraham. Like we too, as the church, can intercede on behalf of sinners, pleading with God that he would save people. Like God answers prayer, he answers prayer. We see this, this here. Same time, God is showing mercy. He was answering these prayers. Our friends, our family, our downtown neighbors, our neighbors where we live, our coworkers. Are we interceding on their behalf? Because understanding salvation as we've been given in Christ. Like, we weren't saved because we fled, but we were saved so we can flee. We were saved so we can flee from our sin. Like, those temptations that continually snare us, that we can't get away from, because of what Christ has done, because of salvation, we can run into the arms of a perfect Heavenly Father. 
We can't run with the open arms of God only because of what Christ has done. Like, this doesn't happen so we can be loved. It happens because we are loved. Because we have been given salvation. Like, look at this salvation. Look what we've been given. Look what we have because of Christ. I just want to close with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. (laughs) We were washed, we were sanctified, we were justified by Jesus Christ. Our one hope, our one claim, our salvation. Like, I said it, there's a lot of similarities to Easter because it's all focused on Christ. It's all focused on salvation and Jesus and Him conquering sin, Him saving us. It's all a celebration of who Christ is, what He has done. Guys, this is all Jesus. Look at what we've been given in Jesus. Let's pray.